Hey guys, welcome to this month's episode of the Made to Win podcast. I'm excited because I get to interview one of my great friends and pastor, Pastor Joel Delph. I want to take a minute though to let you guys know we did have some audio issues on this episode. So if you're listening in your headphones or you're, you're not watching the video, but you're just trying to listen to the audio, the audio quality may be not very good. But we do want you to know that we went ahead and the episode was so good and we, we didn't find out the issue until after we recorded the episode. Uh, so audio is going to be basically from the cameras and not the audio we normally record. So we do apologize for any inconveniences, but you're still going to love this episode of the Made to Win podcast. So check it out. Our interview with Pastor Joel Delph. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Made to Win podcast. And I am beyond stoked for this month's episode because I get to talk to an incredible man of God. It's a lot. <laughs> Pastor Joel Delph. And uh, it's been an incredible 10 years of friendship with my friend uh, Joel. And uh, we'll, we'll talk more about our journey together and, and kind of what he means to me and my family and our church. But um, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. Uh, let us know where you're from, yeah. where, where, where you where you come from, all those things. You know, yeah. Your fam, all those things. So, hey everybody, my name is Joel Delph. Me in 10 seconds. Gave my life to Christ at the age of 6, 18. Went off to college and then started to realize why Jesus saves people mm. and what that does for your heart and for your soul. Yeah. And got to meet my wife at the age of 25, and we've been married for uh, over almost 12 years. We've 12 years this April. Mm-hmm. We've got four kids, and I've gotten to do all sorts of things in life. And I've gotten to spend about eight years of my life in the corporate world and eight years of my life in the church world. And so I've gotten to work for banks and Elevation Church. And uh, right now I get to serve at an amazing church in Charleston, South Carolina mm-hmm. called Seacoast Church and just loving life. I'm just trying to not mess it all up. That's, I think that's me. I think that's it. That's all I got. I think that's uh, ministry in general, right? Yes. Trying not to mess it up. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, it's pretty cool because I guess it was, man, I guess it was more than 10 years ago because it was the fall of 2011. Yep. Um, you might be able to remember the month because it was the same weekend you guys launched two campuses at, at Elevation Church, mm-hmm. and uh, you had only been on staff for like ten days. Was it ten days? Uh, yeah, day eleven or twelve, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, so here's this guy. You know, I, me. I'm, I'm getting ready to plant a church in uh, Hillbilly, USA, and. Uh, <laughs> I, I email, just randomly email the website, Elevation, like, hey, bringing the team down. We actually went to the leadership conference at New Spring that Thursday, drove to Charlotte so good. Friday. So good. Oh, man, it was it was phenomenal. And we were like, hey, let's just go to Charlotte for the weekend, and we'll go to, like, every Elevation experience possible. Like, we, we try, we're like, we're going to hit up every campus let's we can. try them all. Yeah. And so it was so funny because uh, – we're like, maybe somebody will email us back. I don't know. We're just like, hey, if anybody from the staff would be willing to just chat with us for a few minutes, answer some questions, we would be awesome. You know, we, you, know you guys are an influence to us, all those things. And it was cool because, like, somebody – because I have emailed churches before, 
and like you know, you just get ghosted. It's like, <laughs> uh, we're not talking to those guys. It's um, crazy how you get in ministry for people, but then you don't have time for people, <laughs> bro. That's a, that's an episode, right? That's there. a whole other episode. That's a whole other episode. So, but somebody emailed back like, "Hey, yeah, if you'll come here at this time on uh, Friday, uh, somebody will meet with you or whatever." So we go, and it's funny because I think you know, kind of like you guys, we we're off on Fridays. We give everybody a Sabbath day on Friday, and most of the staff was supposed to be off. But since you guys were launching two campuses that weekend, like everybody was just you know it was on chaos, yeah. So we walk in, and um, what was funny is we pull up. This is probably the funny story, and he's actually coming at the end of this month, so I can't wait to like bring this up because he probably don't remember it. But Wade Joy is actually walking out of the building. I think he has like his kids with him or whatever, and they're just trying to leave and go enjoy a Friday. And we're all just like, it's Wade Joy. Like, no, just like 15 creepers like walking up to Wade. You know, I could just see the terror on his face. Like, what's about to happen right yeah. now? So but we were just like, man, we were just so um, excited to be in a place that had impacted us so much, you know. Yeah. And we got to meet John Bishop. The John Bishop. Uh, Larry Bright. The Larry Bright. And uh, which was funny because everybody remembers our interaction with him most. Of course. Because he split us all up into two groups. Like said, wheat from chaff. Yeah. And he's like. You guys weren't going to be here in a year. You guys are like, well, and it was just like, but wait a minute, that's his wife. She needs to be on this side. Like, it, it, was, it was so funny. But, uh, and then we got to meet, of course, you. And it was awesome because um, I think in the following weeks and even months, it was cool how, like, you would text, check up on us and things like that. And then, of course, through Inside Elevation and stuff like that, we just started, like, hooking up more and hanging out, having coffee, meeting with the team. And, um, man, over the years, I want you to know, like, it started with the, hey, we just want to glean from your leadership. But uh, I really enjoy gleaning from your life because I I believe you're an incredible man. Um, And one day when I grow up, I'll be Joel (laughs) Bell. These are all eyes. And, you know, on my side of the, the spectrum is one of the things I'll never forget is your hunger and I could tell that you were and you are a student. And so I, I got a list here and I'm sharing it for tonight. Tonight is actually revival yeah. here ten at Generation and 10 years. And I've got this list of 10 things. I'm not going to go through them right now. But one of the things that I saw then that 10 years later is still true is that you're a student of all, but you're an imitation of no one. Mm-hmm. And you have this ability to learn from others, but then fight, figure out what does that mean for me? And there's a lot of people who will try to learn from others by trying to replicate the miracle. And you can't do that. Yeah. You can, you can learn from a miracle, but then God has to do a special work in your life that may look vastly different. Wow. And so the thing I've seen with you for the last 10 years is you learn, you learn from everybody, but then you say, well, what does that mean for Portland? And you're not trying to grab the mic to change the world. You're trying to grab the mic to change Portland and then everything flows out of that. And so I don't even know where you're listening to this podcast today, but one of the things I want to say about my friend, Pastor Brandon Petty, is he's sold out for reaching a community that you may never come into. Mm. And he's not trying to do it for clout. He's not trying to do it for followers. He's not trying to do it for likes. He's not trying to build a plane and do all that stuff. If God brings that stuff to him, that would be to his surprise. Yeah. But then I think God really specializes in using people who are faithful in the unseen. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's one of the cool things that I've just seen in your life that makes me honored to be here tonight. It makes me honored to like walk around you and be around you because um, I think the next 10 years, we're both going to be shocked with what God's going to do through your heart and through the lives of people you serve and lead alongside, not because you're worthy of it, but because you're willing to put yourself as a servant of your dream. Mm-hmm. And uh, so many times we want to be in the center of our dream, but when we start serving that dream that God's placed inside of us, yeah. it's a whole other level. I, I really don't know how to do podcasts, and I don't do first dates well. I don't know if I'm supposed to like you know make jokes and talk about the weather, but we're just going to go no, in right let's now. Go. Yeah, let's go, man. <laughs> it's so good. Gosh, it's so good. Man, that, that means a lot. You know, I, I think... Um, and it's crazy because we were just talking about you know, we're celebrating ten years this weekend today. You know, we, we launched the church on three you know, on March fourth, two thousand twelve. And um, I always tell people it's like a tale of, of two churches. You know, like the first five years you just feel like you you know, they you always use the analogy of having a baby or a child, right? Yeah. And it really it was like first five years, like how do we not, you know, like crap ourselves all the yeah. time. You know what I mean? Like you're just trying to figure out <laughs> yeah. how to get out of diapers, but you're a you're you're like aware that you're in diapers. You know what I mean? Like, yes. it's just like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And a lot of it is, and man, I've had so many like friends that I've watched go through this season too and navigate it. But I think there's such a pressure. I plant, I feel like we planted in a, in a season where church planting was like this sexy thing to do. Mm. And it seemed like every person I talked to, you know, like, it's just like, well, you know, I'm not happy here, so maybe I should start a church. And, like, for the first five years, I would tell people, like, you don't run. You right, know? right. It was so, but, like, the, the, there was a moment where God took me on this journey um, to, to get healthy myself. And I feel like the last five years have been so rewarding and refreshing for, for me and my family. I always tell people, like, um, that one of the, the testimonies and markers for us for success is that our kids love Jesus, love the local church, and actually love people. You know, that's good. Um, that's good. <clears throat> so, how do you, um, how do you figure out that journey of getting healthy? Mm-hmm. Because some people they spend a lifetime of saying I'm getting healthy yeah. when they're really just trying to figure out ways to run from responsibility, run from yeah. hard things, but what does that even mean for you to be healthy? Man, I'm telling you, this is, this is where God took me. Was It's the scripture where Jesus says, um, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, right? Come, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. <clears throat> and it's amazing because he uses, he says, I'm going to take a burden off of you. That's good. But I'm going to use the analogy of work. Mm. Like, how is that? <laughs> like, I can almost imagine being one of those fishermen, right? Being like... Wait a minute, what? Mm. Like, it's, but when you think about what Jesus is conveying, is like there's already a weight we carry in this world. Yeah. Whether it's work, marriage, family, whatever. And the problem is, is that I think even pastors, people in ministry, followers of Jesus in general, something has happened along our way in our journey where <clears throat> no matter how hard we try, not to fall into this trap. There is this trap of, in order for me to be loved by God and to be used by God, I have to work really hard at it. And and Jesus has given us the key from the beginning of saying, like, listen, when you hook up with me, like for real with me, not hook up with, 
church or hook up with religion or hook up with ministry, but when you hook up with me, I show you a different way to carry the weight. That's good. You know, like we tell people, like, don't lift with your, your back, right? Lift yeah. with your legs. Right. You know, right. because it's, it's telling people you can actually pick up heavier weight mm. when you do it correctly. And so when people talk about getting healthy in their, in their back of their mind, what they're really saying is, I've got to find something else to do in order to feel better about the state that I'm in. Yes. Yes. Instead of like, you know, why? Here's why I tell people all the time is God does not need me to grow his church. Right. Right. Here's the cool part is that he loves me so much. He's like, I would love to partner with you to do it. Yeah. I'd love for you to be a part of what I want to do. Hmm. So for me, about three or four years ago, I finally let go of not only the pressure, Hmm. but the desire to grow Jesus' church. Hmm. Because if I'm honest with myself, there was a thing in that first five years that was like, this hinges on me. I have to grow this thing. I have to come up with the next best idea. I have to preach the right message. I have to say the right things. I've got to make the right tweet, the right post, the right. Yes. And there's something so liberating hmm. when you realize I'm still doing the work. Right. I'm just yoked up to something different now. That's good. That's good. And, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about while you're talking about it is habit over harvest. Mm. And so let me break that down for a second. Like sometimes we focus on the harvest, what we want to happen. Yes. And when you focus on that, then you shortcut steps in the process to get there. So I.e., uh, if you're a businessman and you think that success is being wealthy, yeah. then what will happen is, is you'll consciously and subconsciously pursue what you think wealthy people have to get there. So this is the businessman who will lie to himself and say, well, I need that truck for work. Yeah. And so they buy the $120,000, you know, Ford F450 with yeah. everything in it, but it's good for <laughs> business. It's like, no, it ain't, bro. You're trying to feed your pride. Yeah. And, and so you you buy the house before you really can afford it, or you swipe with the car because you think it's what you wear. Yeah. <clears throat> Conversely, the best people know it's all about the habits that you have, yeah. the things you do consistently mm-hmm. over time. And one of the gifts mm-hmm. through the tragedy of Kobe dying is all of these mythical stories that are popping up on social media yeah. with people who are talking about, hey, you know, I just finished a game against Kobe and I went to work out and he was working out. And then when I thought I had a good workout and went back, uh, to the to the shower to get ready to go home, he was still working. Yeah. And there was a man who was soul sold out to the habit yeah. that the harvest was just a byproduct of it. Yeah. And so that was Jay Williams. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And there's so many different stories I'm seeing all the time oh, yeah. about people just sharing it. And the sad thing is sometimes you don't respect people until they're gone. Yeah. That's a whole other topic. But you know those habits are things that we can control. Yeah. But the harvest is a thing that God can control. What are just one or two simple habits that you um, maintain as a leader to make sure that you're healthy? Oh, man. Um, Obviously, uh, three big ones. One, um, I get up at 4 a.m. every day and spend the first hour with God, journal, 
uh, I, my first thing in my journal to do is write down at least five things I'm grateful for that morning. I just believe gratitude sets your attitude. It sets your attitude for the day, it sets your attitude for the week. <clears throat> and then I have a verse that I meditate on. I'm, I'm reading through whatever in the Bible, but I'll have one verse that I'm just like, hey, I need to chew on this for today. Um, but I'm telling you, like, time just in silence and, and just the quiet, um, it has been life-changing for me. Uh, because I think we are so addicted to noise that if we don't have that time of silence uh, and solitude, um, yeah, I just feel like we're always trying to feed into more busyness. Uh, so I love to be able to be, be the person, I'm not always there, but the person that says, when they say, I, I know you're really busy. No, I'm not busy. I just have boundaries. You know, right. and there's a difference. Yes. You know, I don't have to say yes to everything. Yes. Uh, but I also don't have to be busy. Right. Uh, but then I go to the gym. So I'm at the gym by 5 a.m. every morning. Um, I'm usually there for about an hour and a half. Uh, and so those are three keystone habits to start my day, at least. Um, but those are important. Um, and then, of course, you know, I try to segment my, my day throughout the day so that way I can give whatever I'm doing, I give my best to. You know, and that's that's just what I believe is I may not get everything done on my quote unquote list, but if I can give my best to whatever I'm working on that moment, um, you know, that's important. I think people always talk about but I think people always think of their lives as compartmentalized. Right. Mm. It's like you know, I have my job, I have yeah. my family, I have this, but it's all one. You know, it's just how do I <clears throat> how do I make my entire being um, be yoked up with Jesus and let the fruit of that feed into my family. Let That's good. Feed into my leadership. That's good. Uh, all those things. I think, I think, uh, <clears throat> let me break that down for us normal people out there. Because <laughs> this man just started talking about 4 a.m. and hour workout where he's praying while squatting. It's all about Jesus, but then it's all about the depth uh, of the squat. Like, um, big habits in our life start with yes. small decisions. And so maybe for you, the decision is start your day five minutes earlier. Mm -hmm. And then when you're before you, you know, hop in the shower, read the verse of the day on the Bible app. And I think there's something special with small little decisions uh, because they will grow. Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you start with a small little decision, I'm just going to try it for five minutes, then it'll grow. And the fruit of that is, is. When your body and your life starts getting addicted to healthy things, yes. then that's what will set autopilot on. No, you're right. I mean, I think even the silence thing, I mean, I started with five minutes. That's so Just good. set yes. a timer, sit there. And you know what? Most of the time, my brain, I couldn't turn it off. Mm. But like over weeks and months, when I think I'm up to 15 minutes now. Yes. It's still not a lot of time, but now I'm like, it's I'm in it more. Mm. I'm in it better. Here's, here's something that um, I also do when I'm trying to learn from somebody is I try to watch what they do mm. and then I'm like, well, why do they do that? Mm. Um, your blue Dodge Dakota is still outside there. Yeah. Um, what do you do with your money? <laughs> yeah, we want to talk about some real stuff today. Talk about just some things you do with your mind. I love it. No, it's um, <clears throat> actually we met with a financial advisor today, you know, just because we were at a place in our life where I wasn't taught how to do, how to manage your money. I grew up with a poverty mindset. And most people think a poverty mindset means you 
don't have money, but a poverty mindset just means you have a mindset that even if you have money, you don't have money because you, it's not about the dollar amount you make. <clears throat> it's your perception of what money is and what it's used for. And so having a poverty mindset, my family always had the mindset of if you have it, you better spend it because it's going to disappear. That's the poverty mindset. So you can make a hundred grand a year, but still be in major debt because your mindset is that if I have it, I have, it's, it's the it's the hundred thousand dollar truck, right? It's that decision of where like, hey, I gotta have this, but really your mindset is if I don't buy this, I'll never have it, and I've gotta have it because my money's gonna disappear anyways, right? So good. So, so good. when we got married, I got married at twenty five. Um, my wife grew up in a different environment. Mm. She grew up in a very tight. Um, I mean, her grandfather grew up in the Great Depression. Uh, seven kids all took a bath in the same water. Yes. You know, same bath water. Yes. So that mindset creeped into her dad. I mean, he would literally tell his, his kids, hey, three squares. I'm like, bro, how in the world can you can you three, three squares of toilet paper? I'll let you guys that are listening, you know, I'll let you do the imagination. Miracles. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, I'm talking about bread and lo- loaves and fishes type stuff, right? Like, I don't know how you do that with toilet paper. But that's that's the mindset that my wife grew up in. Yeah. So both can be toxic because my wife has a mindset of, like, if we have money, we, we need to not spend it but set it over here and just save it so that way we don't, you know, because a woman wants safety, right? Men want to solve all the problems. Women want safety, security. So when we got married, we went through, uh, thank God, God placed us under some pastoral leadership that, number one, taught me about uh, tithing and giving and generosity because I had been a believer for eight years, had wow. never given a dime, just didn't know, yes. like, yes. was never challenged in the yeah. church that I came from, all those things. So they walked us through how to get out of debt. They walked us through some Dave Ramsey stuff. But so now, I mean, I think by the time I was, start, so in five years, we were debt-free except for our home. And we were able to now start shifting our focus toward investing. Mm-hmm. And so our, our concept is we just tell ourselves we never want to have a car payment, you know. So if we find a used vehicle, we'll drive it until the wheels fall off. Good. And, you know, because we're going to keep on, and, and we take care of our vehicles too, you know, oil change, rotate tires, yep. do those things. So for us, it's, for me, it's not about, and it was hard for me. It was a shift for me because I, as a teenager, I was in debt a lot. I mean, I remember I had the, I had the, um, the, the Z28 Camaro. Yeah. But like, I really put our marriage starting out in a, and it hurting because and hurt because I was in so much debt when I got married over vehicles, stupid stuff. I had no idea about. This, this is I mean this is how ignorant I was when I first moved it down my own place. I went to like rooms to go or something, and they're like, "Hey, guess what? Zero interest, zero payments for a whole year." <laughs> Joe, are you kidding me? Yeah. I don't have to pay. This is free furniture. Yep. For a year, and like, but after a year, you know, yeah, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I'll probably pay it off in that before year. then. Before cool. then, yeah. Twelve months later, how much money did I put down? On zero, that? zero. And then you get the payment for your first, and it's like, dude, this is like a fourth of what the whole furniture was supposed, you know. Yep. So then I spent the next two years paying off furniture. Mm. I, it was just 
those are the type of mistakes that I made. The financial institutions of the world know you, yeah, and they bet on you, yes, uh, prioritizing you. And uh, well, something someone said once is, accounting is theology and numbers, mm. and you can tell what you believe by where you spend your money. Yeah, and I think if you you look through your bank account as uh, real life testimony in your belief systems. Yeah. It's kind of like shocking. You're like, dang, I invest in a lot of things that don't really matter. Yeah, and and so I think the the game changer is when we can find ways to just own our life with our finances, so that we can step into purpose. We can step into what God may want us to do. We can uh, tell our boss, you know what, you're unhealthy. I gotta go, mm. or I do need to start something. Well, it's so good because now it has shifted my whole mindset to where, like, the mindset, you know, the Americanized mindset is like, okay, I need to work toward not working. But for me, my whole definition of retirement has been flipped on its head because for me, retirement is free from obligation, not free from work. And so how can I keep investing my life in a way to where one day I don't just sit around and do nothing, Yeah. but I can say yes to God on a much larger scale where maybe in my 60s, I'm doing a greater work for God than I ever did in my first 50 years. I prayed for a guy Wednesday night who retired two years ago, and he said, I have no purpose in my life, and mm-hmm. we got to pray over it. But I thought, how sad is it that he's been freed to live life any way he chooses but because the pattern of his life was that someone else owned his vision yeah that when he was given the keys to run it it's like wow um i don't know what to do and you know that's what happened with the israelites and that's why god gave the israelites the law Mm. he gave them the law to teach them how to be free yeah because there were 16 generations of egyptian captivity and they didn't know what to do so god had to give them the law to teach them how to be free and i think that's a really good mindset to understand that freedom is something you always have to teach yourself that's so good well and we forget you know because like what they struggled with wasn't even the fact that it wasn't the physical freedom right it was the mental mental bondage yeah mental bondage I mean, you think about when Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Mm. And he talks about this tree that birds live in. Yep. So the problem I even run into with people is like, I'll talk to young guys who are like, man, right, I'm going to be in full-time ministry. I see what you, I want to do what you do and all this stuff. Well, they're seeing the birds in the tree, right? But they're not willing to like start with this thing, this right. little seed. Right. Because... What, what I see guys do, especially men, because I think men are in a hurry to discover this purpose in their life, right? To discover this thing. They want to be successful. They want to do all these things. And the problem is, okay, I'll just, I'll just use this guy as an example. He's like, now I want to be in, in ministry, yada, yada. <clears throat> all right, well, here's some opportunities for you to start out. But it's like, it doesn't pay well. There's not very many benefits. Yes. And then he gets married and he starts working at a place that he doesn't necessarily want to spend his life doing. Yes. And now he's living under a certain economic lifestyle. Yes. And he's like two years in, he's like almost in this depression because like, I don't want to do this forever. But I see my dreams slipping further and further yeah. away from me because now I have a family. Now I have this. Right. And so it's, it's, it is 
I think when we start talking about this, and that's kind of what we're talking about today, is this idea of purpose. But it's it's this thing that I feel like people feel like it is so. Um, it's, it's almost like you can't touch it. It's so far away, or it's this abstract idea, and it's complicated, right? Mm. I think we overcomplicate what purpose really is. And wow. So wow. I mean, even I mean, I know your story has kind of like that that journey to it where you were like, hey, I'm going to be, you said, didn't you say you want to be like a chaplain for the military? I did. I did. I did. And so my story, I can tell you now, uh, I'm 38, I'll be 39 in June, that I know my purpose in life is to help bring people together to understand Jesus. I'm a community builder and I want to point people to Christ. That is what I'm called to do. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, what that's looked like throughout the years are vastly different things. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes in life you go through seasons of understanding your purpose at different levels. But at first I thought that I wanted to go in the Marine Corps, be an officer, and then get out and use the GI Bill to become a chaplain. I wanted to become a chaplain because I was so afraid of working in that church because I never really saw... Churches like Generation, life-giving churches where you walk in on a Tuesday, there's people who are excited to come to work, um, they're filled with passion, they're relevant to life. I, I didn't I didn't see that. I grew up in church, respected the church, but I never saw my place in it. Mm. And so I thought, wow, I want to go in the world's biggest youth group. And 75% of the people who are in the military, they're, they're ages 18 through 30. And they're in a season of life where they're starting to own the reins of their life. They're given opportunity, they're given money, and they're trying to figure out where they're going to go. Yeah. And I was like, man, I want to do that. And so um, right now, someone's getting sold to being a chaplain. <laughs> I guarantee you. Someone's like, oh, that's it. That's what I want to do. And so I thought that was it. And um, uh, I was serving in my church, and I was a banker during the day. And we moved from Hilton Island to Charlotte, North Carolina, in pursuit of that dream. And along the way, God brought an opportunity to step on staff at Elevation, which was unexpected for me. And in part, it was kind of a crazy thing because I had wrapped up this whole thought of the military and ministry all wrapped up in one. And so when I met you 12 days in and I'm the new guy at this church, I was grateful to be a part of it, but then also my first step into purpose didn't look like what I thought it was going to look like. And so many times when you think you're stepping into purpose, it's like, oh, wow, I'm going to wake up every day, feel fulfilled. It's going to be peaceful because God is in it. And then if you want to go in ministry, you lie and say, well, oh, man, Christians are easy to work with. I mean, there's no there's no one who's going to be self-promoting. There's no pride. There's no problems. It's just going to be everyone holding hands, praying all day. And then I, I stepped in and I got hit mm-hmm. in the face of the reality of what purpose feels like. And sometimes purpose, walking in it, it can really feel pointless. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, and you said it, man. I, I kid you not. If you have not, if you've not been in ministry long enough to tell yourself, hey, I would probably work it at McDonald's tomorrow <laughs> if they called. I don't know if you've been doing it right. I don't know if you've been yeah. in ministry long enough. Yeah. Because that's, that is a great point. And I'd love to, for you to even talk about that Like as you stepped out of that season where you went back into the corporate world. Because for, sure. for me, I think there is that, I think that's why purpose is so confusing for people because they think once I discover it, it's going to be this feeling like I think they're confusing purpose with this feeling of 
fulfillment. Yes. Instead of understanding that with, I mean, anywhere through Scripture, people that lived out purpose yes. walk through a lot of pain. For sure. A For lot sure. of mistakes, a lot of figuring things out, right? And so I'm not for you to even talk about like how you went from there to elevation. And then you're like, hey, I'm here. I'm doing the ministry thing. Mm. But then God calls you. Yeah. So I had the opportunity to serve at elevation for just about just under eight years. And it was a really amazing experience. God really grew me through a lot of different seasons. Good, bad, ups, downs, all that kind of stuff. And probably about April, about a year before I left, God just started challenging me in my quiet time. Do you trust me or do you trust the place where I placed you? And that was a really just shocking thing. I was like, well, um, I I trust you. And he just started straight up waking me up in the middle of the night um, with a burden to go back into the corporate world, but do something in the world of ministry. And it didn't make sense. And I just kind of prayed and sat on it. And then uh, one month I got seven job offers out of nowhere. It's just really weird, and one of them was the job I ended up going to. It's a company called Polydeck, and really great uh, Christian company. Uh, They make uh, uh, materials for the mining world, to sum it up really quickly, but they wanted me to come on as their global caring manager, which was literally a guy who had business background, but who also was a pastor. So Mm -hmm. it was like one of those things where God, like, specifically, like, like said, oh, this is what you need to do. And so he made it really clear and I took that step. But then when I took that step, you know, um, it came with its own list of problems. And then what I realized is um, whether you're working in the corporate world, you're working at home, or you're working in ministry, every single place can be filled with purpose and every single place is filled with problems Mm -hmm. and if you're searching for fulfillment as a feeling you will never find it Mm. Uh, but if you search for fulfillment Mm -hmm. as a decision and then watching the fruit of what God's doing then that's an amazing thing and so my two and a half years at Polydeck was amazing God used me and I was able to see things I would have never seen Um, but um, what I've learned is is that when God calls you into purpose his path to use you will oftentimes look like completely different than what you think. Yeah. And so I'm sure you've felt that, seen that in your life where you thought that purpose was this destination, Mm -hmm. but it's really this journey of God saying, this season you're going to do this. The next season you're going to do that. And it could be vastly different seasons in the same place. Yeah. It doesn't always have to look like Mm -hmm. the big shifts that I've seen in my life. But, um, yeah, I've just learned so much through those seasons. I think it was Rick Warren. Um, I, forget, I think he was on Carrie Newhall's podcast or something. But um, I thought it was such an interesting – like the thing that I learned most from his – because, you know, he's getting ready to transition, you know, from his church, and and uh, which is incredible what he's been able to accomplish, you know, in the four – I guess it's like 40-something years. 40-something years. Yeah. And uh, but here's what was cool about that is like you're talking about Rick Warren here, right? I mean, purpose. I mean, he wrote a book that basically just launched him. I mean, you know, it's like the top selling book of all time or yes. something or something crazy like that. And um, he said that he had the same prayer for 40 years every Saturday on his way to church, and that was today, God, I give you my resignation. That if you want me to resign today, wow. so that you could 
use me into something else. I just, I give that to you. Wow. He said, but it, it set him free from this idea of this is I'm, who I am is tied to this title or role or the success or whatever it is. Because mm-hmm. I think even some people from the outside looking in, they're like, now I'd love to have that. Um, because they correlate that with some sort of purpose. Right? Yeah. In your little library over there, there's a book called Good to Great. Mm-hmm. And it's written by this amazing guy, Jim Collins. And then afterwards, he wrote another book called How the Mighty Fall. Mm-hmm. And it's this book about great companies that were once the center of the market. Now they're not relevant. So the Blockbusters, the Nokias, the um, circuit cities of the mm-hmm. world, how did they at one time be the absolute definition of the industry but then lose it? And one of them, one of the reasons why is the hubris of success mm-hmm. or pride. When you get so caught up in who you think you are, then you start to lose perspective on what got you there. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, this team of accountants in the early 90s, they went to General Motors and said, hey, if we keep spending money the way we do, in the early 2000s, we'll need a government bailout. They predicted the bailout. We're going to go bank. That's crazy. And and you know what the executive said? They said, we're General Motors. We print money. That's what we do. Wow. And sent those accountants out of their way. But that hubris of success, and I think that's why it's so important to not be so tied to the title. And... Sometimes I always listen as a skeptic sometimes because mm-hmm. I'm like, well, if Pastor Brandon Petty's got the title and he's telling me not to hold it so tightly, well, why doesn't he give it to an intern and see what happens? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the reason why he's trying to give us that wisdom is that when you hold so tightly to it, then you are bound by what you think that title should be, mm-hmm. should drive, yeah. should wear, should act, should respond. And before you know it, you're lose perspective on what you have. Yeah. So now walk us through, you've been at Polydeck. How long were you there? Uh, two and a half years. And you guys had to move for that job, correct? Yes. And so yes. you moved from Charlotte to... Yes. Uh, Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you don't know where it is, that's fine. So then, yeah. And so then you walk through the season of, hey, God may be calling me back into full-time ministry. Absolutely. So um, we had uh, the death of Ahmaud Arbery. Mm-hmm. And that rocked me personally because when I saw the picture of him, mm-hmm. he looks like me. He had he was wearing a you know that that picture of him in the polo and that hat yep. with the big smile. Mm-hmm. Um, I have that polo in my closet, and I grew up in the South, and I know that pressure of like, oh, I think I'm in the wrong spot. Mm-hmm. And then that was crazy. And then George Floyd. And then watching the riots and then COVID and then all those seasons, I just started sensing in my spirit that uh, I was a leader out of place. Mm. And I don't know if you've ever, if you're watching your kid's basketball game and the coach is like flooding it and you're like, oh man, get out the way, I'm going to do it. You know, you ever feel that way? You're out of place or uh, mom, you're at uh, the grocery store and you see some mom neglecting their child and they're like man that was my child yeah. you know and so I just started feeling that 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 sense I was out of place and I had a conversation with one of my mentors and 
he just asked me, he's like, have you ever thought about going back in ministry? And I was like, man, I didn't even know what that looked like. And I didn't know it, but God moved me from full-time ministry to actually minister to my dad. Mm-hmm. And so my dad and my stepmom moved in and I didn't know that I was taking care of him for the last year of my life. And, but um, I went through about a year of interviewing for different churches and uh, seven different amazing churches that I ended up saying no to. Wow. And that was really weird because I knew that God was calling me back in the ministry and it's just really surreal to have to say no to the thing you want. I don't know if you've ever had to say no to a good thing, wow. believing for a great thing, yeah. but there's no guarantee of that. Yeah. And so that was the process and that was really painful for both me and my wife mm-hmm. because when you're going to a church, you're really considering, am I moving here? I've got four kids and yeah. are they gonna fit in? And you're looking at houses and you're trying to look at the staff of saying, hey, that guy over there, could I actually have dinner with him on a Saturday? And it's just a really weird process. Yeah. And um, we went through seven notes and then God made it really plain for the eighth one to be our yes. And we're grateful for that. But yeah, that, that, that season was really a growing season that was painful. And I think that's the hard part about purpose is to really keep being like effective you have to be willing to grow, which means that you have to do hard things that you may not want to do. Wow. And so um, I didn't know that going to Spartanburg, serving at Polydeck would be a growth season that was painful, but it was amazing. I loved it. It was great, uh, but it was also hard sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I remember you even asking for prayer and it was yes. like... Is it Dallas? Is it Baltimore? Gosh. Is it Charlotte? Is it, it, it was, was like, ridiculous. Yeah. That, was, that was wild, man. Yeah. But yeah. even with that, you know, I think so many people, it's, yeah, again, all they see is like the fruit of your life. But I would say even like going back into ministry, you know, you had a, a what's called a separation season, right? Yes. Because I tell people one of the most valuable things that happened in my life, I was in student ministry before starting this church. And there's something about almost like this disconnect when you're in full-time ministry, if you're not careful yep. of the real world, you know what I mean? Yep. And so I had to go work a couple of part-time jobs and for about a year and a half to almost two years before we started the church. But it was like, for some reason, it was like this most life-giving moment because so it was like, oh, this is like every day was real. Not not people coming to work faking it every day. Yes. You know? Because yes. there were broken people in the, in the yes. church. You know, yes. but it was like, oh, but I work for a church. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's the stuff I even, the challenge I face now with the staff here, because I'm trying to get them to be like, you know, hey, you, you don't have to play any games here. Like, right. Because we're actually walking through something with our staff called the leader's journey, but it's this whole idea of saying like, hey, the biggest problem in the church world most of the time is that we are reaching broken people, but the problem is we are also broken. Yeah. And there's sometimes no outlet for that. So good. Um, and so maybe like, what are some things that you learned going back into that world that brought you a fresh perspective? I think, I think, um, hmm, I've got. I actually did a teaching for generations staff one day when uh, Pastor Brandon was gone about the six things like every church should know about like being in church ministry, and I can't remember the six. But like, um, one of the things I'll say is reminding yourself that 
uh, miraculous work feels mundane. Mm. So um, there's no uh, spiritual way around getting your emails to zero. <laughs> Just hey, it's it's not about if you feel it or yeah, not. Select all. So yes, delete. Yeah, it's like all delete and let the people do what they yeah, need to do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no there's no um, spiritual way about keeping yourself in a healthy rhythm where you're teaching or uh, you're using so. Some things are just take work. Mm-hmm. So so that's one thing I've just learned is like, hey, don't over-spiritualize it. Just knock it out. Yeah. Another thing is, is if you don't have time in your schedule for the people that you say you're serving, then you are an ineffective leader. So good. And I, I learned that with, uh, I was trying to get in front of some of my sales team yeah. at Polydeck. And mm-hmm. one guy was like, hey, bro. Uh, nice talking on the phone, but I got I got work to do, and he mm-hmm. and he hung up on me, and I remember realizing that my call wasn't making him money, and because it wasn't making him money, he knew that it wasn't a priority for him. Now that's a whole other thing, so I'm sure rely on that. But but that principle stuck with me is if we are called to share the Great Commission full time, if we are called to serve people full time, mm-hmm. if if I'm a children's ministry director or if I'm a worship leader or if I'm a tech guy or if I'm a, a graphics art designer but I do not spend time with my end user yeah then I am growing in my uh, my uh, ineffectiveness as a leader mm. and so if your schedule does not have time where you're meeting with your end user you're you're wasting ultimate time in church well I think that yeah. that is where people confuse gift with purpose too because they think that if I've discovered my purpose, I'm going to be always using my gift, right? Mm. And the problem is you might be growing your gift, but you're also growing distant from the relationships of people who yes. even need the gift in the first place, yes. right? And so I always tell people that there is, I, I'm called to lead this church, um, but how how that is accomplished, there are things that I love about what I do, and there are things that, that I have to do. For sure. Because it's a part of leading, right? Yes. And so it's like I don't always just get to sit and read scripture all the time and read through an entire leadership book in a day yeah. and do all these things. There are meetings I have to be a part of that aren't necessarily like my passion. Yes. But it's still a part of my purpose. Yes. And I think that's why people get so hung up too, is because they're thinking, man, you know, when I find my purpose, I'm gonna be just doing the thing. All day long. Yes. But there is so much that comes along with that, too. Um, talk to us about, like, some of the struggles that you've had coming back into uh, full-time ministry that you didn't foresee. Hmm. Struggles I didn't foresee. I think, um, hmm. So my season now looks different uh, because my role is different. And I didn't foresee um, when your season changes, then that means your preparation has to change. Mm-hmm. And so I'm in a season where I've had to change workflow. I've had to do things differently. But I think the biggest struggle is, is um, what are the healthy habits that I'm going to make sure I prioritize so I can do the thing that I am built to do? Mm-hmm. And so... For me, that looks like the prayer regimen. It does look like making sure that I'm meeting with people in the congregation. And that also means that I'm meeting with the teens and I'm supporting them, loving them. 
but then also making sure that they're going where we need to go. And so my job feels like um, uh, I'm flying a fighter jet, yeah. and at any moment I could be flying 300 feet off the ground yeah. or 40,000 feet off the ground. Yeah. And so um, at any moment I could have any one of those hats. And so I think the, the struggle right now is making sure that I'm owning what is the most important thing I'm gonna do, yeah. and then being comfortable with the fact that I didn't do X, Y, Z. And so I like to be able to do all things, but just like you, we all have finite time. And one of my biggest priorities right now is to make sure I get home yep. because I've got four children and I've got a short window in my life where I can invest who God's called me to be mm -hmm. in them. Well, and that's kind of what I was getting at because there was probably a version of Joel, you know, four or five years before that, yes. that it was like, hey, we can't necessarily run like we ran here. A thousand percent. How do I run better? That's here? good. You so, know what I mean? so that's that's really helpful. So when I came on staff at Elevation, uh, me and my wife, we had no kids, and we just jumped all in, <laughs> which is which is good. It's and had them all at one time. Happened all at one time. Yeah, Boom. Yeah, yeah. But then as we started having kids, we adjusted raising parents to our ministry mm -hmm. instead of figuring out how to adjust ministry to the new calling of being a parent and in doing that there was always another person in our house another person in our marriage called elevation and it wasn't the organization of elevation it was our our management of that yeah. so it wasn't the organization's fault sure. it was our misinterpretation of our calling yeah you know so this is when uh in i think it's an exodus but Moses's father-in-law comes to see him at work one day and realizes that he's sitting there all day judging all these people. Yeah. And he's like, man, what are you doing is not good. And his father-in-law helped him see his calling in a new way, which was like, yeah, you're called to lead these people, but you're not called to do everything. Yeah. And so coming back in the ministry this season, I've got some huge parameters now where I'm like, if I'm not leaving by five, that's mm. a problem. I do not have to be at every meeting, but I do yeah. need to make sure that I'm strategically at the right places. I'm serving people well, loving them. And also what's really different in this season is, is I'm coming in at Seacoast at a different level than I did at Elevation. Yeah. And so I'm working hard to earn trust. And that'll, obviously that takes years to, to earn, yeah. but um, uh, that's something that's a whole new level of a season. Mm. And so, so good. Let's talk about this briefly, this, this idea of, because um, it was cool, there was actually, a, a, her name's Valerie Parker, she sent in an email asking this question. I thought it was a really good question, but it's like, how do you know you missed your purpose? Mm. You know, I think some people think that maybe um, purpose is this idea of like, I have to choose the right path, but if I choose the wrong path, wow. I blew it. Wow. Right? Um, wow. Because I think a lot of people feel that way. Yes. You know, like they, I think that's the pressure. Even I, and I feel like I have a sophomore in high school right now, and she's already feeling the weight of like, I don't know, I still don't know what to do after high school, mm. right? And I think there's this pressure we put on high schoolers especially of like, you need to figure everything out about your life yes. when you graduate. What do you do when you graduate? Yeah. And, you know, and of course, you know, it has to involve college. It has to involve this. Like there's a certain path I think people just think this is the path we're supposed to walk down. So talk, what's your thoughts if you had somebody out there who's listening right now, because 
I think this is even a deeper discussion, and this is a whole other episode, but especially with men, most people don't realize like the, that suicide rates are so high in, in men. Right. And especially guys who, you think about the guys who go to NFL, yes. professional sports. Yes. You know, the, the length of their career is so small, and there's so much life after their quote-unquote purpose, right? Yes. And most of them find themselves in this pit of depression, whether it's going bankrupt financially mm. or just feeling like, oh, I don't have a purpose anymore. Yes. So what's yes. your thoughts on, on that? So if you ever start listening to the autobiographies, the stories of really successful people, you'll realize that there are some common threads on what makes people successful. Mm. You know, hard work, consistency, drive, passion, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then also you realize that how many of them stepped into, quote, their purpose on accident. Mm. Clint Eastwood was flying in, off the coast of California, getting ready to go, I think it was to Korea, and uh, as a private in the Army, and his plane crashed. He was one of two survivors that swam a mile offshore, and because of that accident, he got discharged from the Army and decided to act. Wow. Condoleezza Rice, the first Secretary of State, uh, first, one of the, I think one of the first, the first African-American Secretary of State was a female. She uh, got asked by one of her students at Stanford. After she was Secretary of State, she went to be a professor at Stanford where she went to school. They asked her, how did you become Secretary of State? What's the pathway to that? And she said, well, you have to be a failed piano player. Her freshman year, she went to college, and she wanted to be a professional piano player and uh, realized quickly that she wasn't good at it. But a friend told her, hey, why don't you take this Russian history class? It's kind of cool. And when she stepped in and, and learned about Russian history, she got sucked into it, learned the language, became fluent in it, and then became a special advisor to George Bush on the country of Russia in the 80s, and that was her first foray into the government world. Wow. Um, Dwayne The Rock Johnson wanted to be a professional yep. football player mm -hmm. and uh, failed at that. Mm -hmm. And he's a third generation wrestler. Yep. And when he told his dad, hey, I want to wrestle, his dad said, you are throwing your life away. And I can go down the list of really amazing people who thought they threw away their purpose by making a wrong step or actually stepping into it. Moses, Moses, he, he, he always was called by God to be a liberator of the people. Yeah. But in his own power, he killed a man. And that's a great side note, that one of the best ways to step into your purpose is stop making it about you mm. and stop making you yes. drive your own things yes. and saying, hey God, I think this is my purpose. I'm going to be faithful where I'm at. I'm going to look and see what's out there, mm -hmm. but I'm going to trust you more than trust me, and he'll open up way more doors. But Moses, he, he thought he was stepping into his calling by protecting this Egyptian. He killed him, and then instead of getting props from the Israelites, they started, what, you going to kill me too? Yeah. And then he went running for 40 years. 40 years. 40 years as a shepherd. Was he losing his purpose? Was he running from his purpose? No. Because when God called him in the burning bush and said, I called you, he actually used those 40 years in the desert to lead one million Israelites in how to live in the desert. And so, so many times in your life, you think that you're having a misstep, but God's training process in your life is custom fitted 
for your purpose. Mm. So for someone who's out there who feels like they missed their step, you need to go back to Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. It says, trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Mm. It's plural. I love it. And so the thing that God specializes in is using broken people. The thing that God is really good at is knowing who you are and the fact that you're broken. Yeah. And he specializes in saying, yeah, I use all that mess up stuff. And now I've formed you for a purpose. You do not look at a spoon and say that it is broken. If you try to cut with a spoon, you do. Yeah. But if you realize that it's bent for a purpose, then you realize what it can be used for. And just like Pastor Brandon, just like me, and just like you who are listening today, you're bent for a purpose. So good. Man, it's so good. Joseph, right? Like, yep. even the people that say, like, well, I didn't choose my life. No one does. Yeah. Uh, and and that's, I mean, look at Jesus, right? I mean, yep. for 30, I mean, we don't get a lot of detail, but In the dark. something tells me that he wasn't a terrible carpenter. <laughs> right? I mean, the Bible says at 12, yes. he was, like, yes. growing in stature and yeah. in favor with God, people man. and yep. God, mm-hmm. right? Like, I heard this quote one time I thought it was so good like sometimes your job is your mission but sometimes your job is your mission field and I think mm. so many people are not faithful in what they're currently doing because they're too busy longing for what they wish they were doing right I didn't know that God was using me as a banker to prepare me to be a pastor mm. I didn't know that my training process was praying over the seats in my uh, bank before people got there I didn't know that was a spiritual thing that pastors should be doing to be a shepherd. I didn't know when I was closing the door on a loan application, someone tells me about their divorce, I was praying for them, that I was pastoring them. Yeah. And so sometimes the training process that God will put you under, mm. um, it looks stupid to everybody else. Yes. But for you, it's custom fitted. Bro, and I, like, uh, it's crazy, too, because some of these things are birthed out of even, like, unhealthy for sure. things. For like, sure. So growing up, and, you know, I had this huge insecurity, uh, this need for affirmation. And so the way that I dealt with um, being picked on and things like that when I was younger is I was like, okay, I'm going to be the class clown, right? I'm going to mm. be the guy. If, 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 if I can get you off my back by making you laugh. Yes. Then that's what I would do. And so I ended up leading the drama club in high school. So I'm like a part of these play. And all of this stuff had nothing to do with that. I love doing these things. It was everything about like, man, I just, I need something for people to like say you're good enough or whatever. Had no idea that what God was developing in me was this gift that he would later use to be able to stand in front of people so good. and proclaim the gospel. So good. Where I used to, it was like, hey, I'm going to use this gift to try to bring some sort of security to myself. Mm. And so I think, man, I think so many people, I love, I think Pastor Stephen actually did a message on this one time that God's will is whatever. I don't know if right. you remember that. Yep. I do remember that. Yep. But, you know, it's whatever you do, yes, do it as unto the Lord. And, you know, some things are a function of time. Mm. And for the people that are really successful, there really is no such thing as overnight success. Yeah. Think about Justin Bieber. Well, there are years when he was learning his craft that no one saw him. And he came on the scene at such a young age. Mm -hmm. He grew up in front of us. But you don't take away the decade that it learns to master something. Yeah. And sometimes what I've just learned is um, sticking with something that God has built you with is just... It's hard, it's painful, because it looks great to run. Yeah. But if you can just stay on it, mm-hmm. then you can start to see fruit. 
so good. And, I, and, and that really is, I mean, it's crazy too because the scriptures tell us, like, you know, if you are faithful with the small things, Gosh. you may rule or many, right? And, and I think so, I think the biggest issue with people not discovering purpose where mm. they see is that they're just not faithful with the now. Yes. Like they want tomorrow to come, um, but not realizing that what you're doing today is going to actually build what's tomorrow. I had a guy ask me uh, questions about communications, communicating to people this week. And at best, I'm like a D-level communicator. There's a lot better people you need to just learn from Pastor Brandon Petty. But I, I really laughed when he said it because I was like, you don't know the first time I got on stage and uh, I had a five minute clock and about mm, a minute, 20 seconds in, I ran out of content. And I'm just staring at 600 people in the crowd. I'm like, rapture happened now. Yeah. Take me now. Yeah. And I die now. And, and 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 so sometimes the people that you see have the gift that you think is natural. Yeah. They just they just fail the whole lot. Mm. They just yeah. fail the whole lot. And so I think one of the things about purpose that I think we can't hide from people are the scars that it takes to just get back up again. Yeah. You know, yeah, when good. when you got out there, you thought you were being used by God, or you thought you were stepping into your purpose, and you don't get the commission you thought you were. Yeah, you you prayed over it. Yeah, like you did the work, and the guy said, "Well, I'm gonna go with somebody else." Yeah, or um, you prepared yourself to be married, mm-hmm. and you uh, saved yourself, and then the dude doesn't propose. Like that happens sometimes, and that's okay. Um, as long as you get back up again. Mm. When you let your failure define you, you are stepping out of your purpose. I, I love that you talked about how like people dismiss the dark days, right? Yes. Um, because like I'm not a country music fan. Come on. I, I love documentaries. And there's a documentary on Garth Brooks. Okay. Which, and so I'm like, I mean. Successful. I want objective. Know, yeah. I mean, like this guy is yes. obviously one of the label, one of the most incredible entertainers. Mm-hmm. Of all time or whatever, so I'm like, I want to hear this dude's story, and it and you just your jaw drops because it's like sometimes you do when you look at somebody else's success, you're like, oh, dude, it's just it just kind of happens, you know, they're just yes. awesome. But, I mean, the dude moved to Nashville, back to Oklahoma, like two or three times, living in a house full of you know roommates. He has his wife and other roommates trying to make it in music that people are te- like record labels are telling him, you are not good enough to do this. Yep. Yep, and it's just like your mind gets blown because yep. it's like you're, now you're watching this guy who like rules the entertainment world. Right? And you're like what? Most people can't see your gift until after it's developed, mm. and so if you're looking for external confirmation, just know that it will happen few and far between. Yeah, and I, I read uh, uh, Kevin Hart's autobiography, and it's actually it's called I think I can't make this stuff up, and obviously it's going to be funny, but then it's also great. A reminder of how people step into success mm. and he got rejected from a bunch of people the first time he went to Hollywood spent seven years on the road seven years every year traveling from one side of America to the other side mm. and then doing that seven years yeah. and then through that seven year series season he built his social media from zero mm. to I think a few million he released his first um, uh, comedy thing on Netflix. Uh, he invested $3 million of his own money. Wow. And then when he went back to Hollywood the second time, the same people who rejected him 
were telling him, oh man, you're such a fresh new hit. And he's like, hey, you don't remember me, but seven years ago, you told me I was That's the worst crazy. thing ever. Wow. And, and so he's like, it took me seven years to become an overnight success. Yeah. Oh, and so, man, so many so times good. you just see someone quote pop up on the scene, but you do not know the seasons of failure. Well, even put that into a ministry context, because I've had people, uh, and I know what they're saying. I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not one of those that's like, uh, show them whatever, but like, I had people, if, if they hadn't heard me preach in several years, where they go, like, man, like, you've, you've grown. <laughs> and I'm like, isn't that the point? That's the whole point. Because I, I do talk to people who, um, and this is what I tell people all the time, uh, 90% of people, I just, I just believe this in my heart, that say they want to start a church, really they just want somewhere for somebody to hear their gift. Yep. They just want to preach. They don't really want to right. plant a church right. or pastor a church. 100%. They just want to preach. Yes. And I think that's why some people are content with the storefront, 30, whatever. And hey, whatever. But like, I tell people all the time, like, um, for me, over the last 10 years of my journey, it's not that I wanted to become a better communicator. Right. I wanted to I wanted God to wreck me in such a way that my love for him and love for people came out in my communication. Yes. I remember I went to see a counselor over some, some deep wound trauma stuff that happened in my life five or six years ago. And he said this. I thought this was so good. He's like, when we got done or whatever, like I was telling him what I've learned throughout my sessions. And he's like, I'll tell you this. You will now be a better preacher of the gospel because you have tasted the grace of God firsthand. That's so good. That's so good. And I left there, and, and I've always said this statement to people. I said, mm-hmm. I never practice what I preach. I preach what I practice. That's great. Because because I, I, I have pastors all the time. How do you come up with material? I, I'm, like, I, this is, I'm not a comedian. I'm not coming up with material. Mm-hmm. I'm living out this present life, being wrecked by God on a daily basis That's and so being good. transformed. So out of my transformation, I hope to, to pass that transformation on. That's so good. Um, and that's changed my whole perspective because it did feel like the first few years, I mean, you do, you feel this pressure of like, how do I be a, a good communicator, like a good communicator as Pastor Steve? How do I, how, and, you know, and you said it before, it's like, I can't, I can't just copy and paste. I think even you said this at one time, you said, don't, don't copy what we do, copy the faith. Yes. And yes. that just, that wrecked my world, changed my whole perspective. Yes. Um, I read this this morning in my devotional. Dwight L. Moody suggested the greatest tragedy of his day was that Christian leaders attempted to traffic in unlived truth. Traffic in unlived truth. And wow. We started this conversation about talking about habit versus harvest. Yeah. And if you can get um, a level of satisfaction in your purpose from doing the things that are most unseen, mm. then that's probably a great step into growing your gift. Yeah. So if you desire to have a, a YouTube and you want to be an influencer, if you don't find a level of satisfaction in understanding editing and what camera angles does and putting the right track yeah. and, and what is your brand, if, if you don't get satisfaction in that, then you're going to be so frustrated mm-hmm. when you put something up there and it doesn't hit the way you do. Yeah. Because you're focusing on the harvest, but your habits don't line up with what you need to do to be successful. That's it. And so it's just like, man, I, 
I think I think for anyone that does something worthwhile that lasts, there's a level of that preparation that they just really love. So good. Say there's somebody listening and they feel kind of just stuck. They feel lost. What what's some things you would some advice you would give somebody to help them kind of seek out and find what it is that they feel like their their God given purpose. One realize that you probably have more in your hands than you can see. Mm-hmm. And so, real talk, grab yourself a pen, paper, and say, what has God done in my life? And when you start to write the history of God's faithfulness in your life, you'll start to see different themes. For the people that you believe in, and they know you believe in you, they believe in you, it could be one one person, it could be 20, ask them, what am I good at? Ask them, because they'll tell you. They'll tell you. And between those two things, praying, asking God to just guide you, you'll start to unstuck yourself. If if you really stay consistent with just seeking and not using distractions to delay your healing. Yeah. And the easiest thing to do when you feel stuck is to run. Yes. Blame it on other people. Blame it on where you live. Blame it on your job. And then you run from thing to thing to thing versus stopping, turning around and confronting it. Wow. And there's a season in my life um, where I didn't feel like I was going where I wanted to go and I felt stuck. And the instinct was to run. And holding off on running was probably one of the best things I ever did. Mm. And so if you're going to delay anything, delay from running from the problem. Find a way to step into it. That's so good. And, and, you know, I think that's exactly, I mean, it's funny because you, you start to have revelations or realizations as somebody's talking. But like yes. you said, write down what God's done in your life. Like, I didn't start preaching because I one day I thought, hey, I want to go to seminary. I want to preach the Bible. It actually started, I went to my pastor and was like, hey, I don't know the Bible, but I just want to, like, can, can I go, like, start a class on Wednesday nights where I just share my story? Because I want to like keep people from going down the same path or learn from yeah. dysfunction and like that grew that grew a gift in me to where like really my communication started out just like telling people like man this is what God has done in my life yes uh, and that led to a passion to see seeing broken people become whole man mm-hmm. uh, man that's so powerful that's so good um, what opportunities um, what are opportunities that came in your life that at first looked like a problem. Oh, wow. Man. Why do you think, I'll, I'll tell I'll, um, I was in this small group in 2006, 2007, and they asked me, hey, can you lead one group once? Because the leader was gone. And at first I was like, why is that my problem? Yeah. And then I was like, well, I'll try it. Yeah. And I didn't know that was like my invitation into even understanding what it meant to share God's word mm. and at first it came as an inconvenience or someone asked me to serve as a greeter at church and yeah. I was like I'll do that but I didn't know that was an invitation into yeah. and so sometimes your first step into purpose looks like an inconvenience it, it, there's another great way of um, understanding your purpose what frustrates you mm. what frustrates you because sometimes the things we're frustrated by are the things that we're uniquely gifted in. That's good. You know, so some, one person's gonna walk in this room you're in and they're like, man, 
uh, he needs to have a mural here. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they're gifted as an artist. Another person will walk in and say, oh, dang, that needs to be in alphabetical order. That's that. exactly you what my worship pastor said. He's See? Like, oh, what are you doing with your books, man? See? See? And, 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 and probably he has a gift of organization. Yes. And then you look around and you see the world in a way that is a consequence of the gift God has given you. Mm-hmm. It's a prescription. It's like contacts in your eyes. Yeah. You see the world that way. Yeah. I walk in a room. I'm like, why isn't that guy talking to that guy? Yeah. And like, I'm most satisfied when I'm in a room full of people that shouldn't be together, yeah. that are together, they're hanging out. I'm like, I did my job. They're connected. And I walk out. Mm. If you come over to my house for dinner and there's a bunch of people, at some point in the night, like I'll just disappear. And it's because I get so full of like watching my friends have community. I just need, I literally need a minute. And it happens every single time. It happens every single time. I just, it's just too, it's too much going on. I gotta go. And, but that satisfies my soul. Yeah. And that's something that people won't see. That's not very many people who see um, the need for community and how to build it. Mm. But that's my, that's my, that's my calling. Yeah. I say mine was, you know, I, I became a believer in, at 18 and my pastor was like I was just raw and wanting to be used by God and he's like I think he even like made up a title for me it was like Sunday school superintendent yeah which means yeah. like I had to get up there we had like these little booklets with uh, the actual curriculum and it's like oh this is a devotion just read the devotion ask for prayer requests pray but it turned into like let me tell you what this devotion said to me like yeah it'd be up there for like 30 minutes you know yeah like bro you're supposed to be like 10 minutes you know (laughs) but i would say that that was a time where i felt like "Ah, you know i don't really really feel like this is something that i'm qualified to do but it it opened the door for me to start you know preaching the gospel and that's great things so yeah um, and I think even my first, I think about my first youth pastor job, like I was youth pastor slash associate pastor slash video editor slash yes. creative guy. Like, I was yes. all, and all those things seem like just frustration. To problem. But I mean, now I see ministry through a whole new lens because of that experience. Yeah. You know, I have a creative type mind in certain areas because I was forced into that world a little bit. So I can definitely see how, how that makes sense. All right. But well, let's talk about three keys to victory to help people. You know, this whole podcast is called Made to Win. And I want to help people have victory in their lives, not just survive. You know, I think a lot of people just survive life and don't have victory. So mm. I want to give them victory. And I uh, actually asked you to come up with two of them, but I'll give everybody the first one. And, and that is, you know, I just want to remind people, don't confuse purpose with, with calling. Because I, I think there is this broad spectrum that we forget. I tell people all the time, like, I'm called to serve God. That's what I'm called to do. I believe that is my calling. How that is manifested, like, that might mean that I have to do something that's not necessarily my job title tomorrow, but it brings God glory and it, and it serves people. That's good. Right? Um, but I think my purpose, you know, is, is different than that because I have my purpose is wrapped up in my gift and those type of things. So I would just tell people, like, just because it's not something that is quote unquote, you know, you get to use your gift in the moment doesn't mean you're too good to step into. That's good. Yeah. So that's good. Tell us about number two. Uh, God prepares us for our purpose through the school of life. Mm. Remember God gave you a purpose. Yeah. It's his gift. He gave to you. And there's a certain level of stewardship that only he can own. Now, where our responsibility is, is 
not to allow the school of life to disqualify us, but equip us. Mm. And so uh, failure is only failure if you allow it to be. But get back up again and say, what did I learn from that lesson? Because there's a story through your scars. And when you let God heal you, then you can start using it. But if something in your life isn't healed, then you can't use that gift. That's it. Uh, And the third thing is our faithfulness in places unseen is the catalyst for God using us. Mm. And so, so many times when we think about our purpose, we think um, about being known for it. Yeah. But for me, the best sermons I ever want to preach are at the coffees where there's no lights, there's no cameras, Mm. there's nobody in front, and it's just me and that person. Yep. I get so much from that. I get so much from learning how just to talk and hang out with my kids and speak life into them. And it's always the right time to speak a word of life into someone, but I'm learning that it's in those places that no one can see is where your gift really grows. And then God says, man, I am qualifying that person to be called. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Uh, I had one of our new staff members the other day. It was because when people say this, they think they're like, saying something that's like profound and it's like it's really not that big of a deal but like he made this comment he said man i just i don't know how you do it you know like how do you and you're preaching here you're doing leadership best of here you're doing podcasts here you're doing this with that blah blah it's like i don't i don't see how you do it and it's like that's the point you don't see yes the things the the, the work i'm putting in behind the scenes like yes. i know you're only seeing what i'm doing yeah but that's where i think that that comment about the unseen is yes. so important because yes. what happens in the unseen right is what's going to produce that fruit in the scene here's something i do if you know someone successful in an area that you want to be ask them about the unseen things but if you don't observe it you can't ask about it that's why i asked about that blue Dodge Dakota that's outside yeah, there. Yeah. Because I'm observing. I'm like, oh man, that truck's still around. Hey, how do you do that? What do you do with your money? I ask people that question all the time who I think are successful. Mm-hmm. If you think someone's successful in the area of faith, hey, what do you do to stay close to Jesus? Mm-hmm. If you think someone's a great parent, what hey, how do you how do you care for your kids the way you do? See someone who works out consistently year in, year out, hey, what's your habit? I've learned so many different things by just asking people yeah. simple questions. Yeah. And Proverbs talks about wisdom is out is, is screaming from the streets. And so if you just attune your ears to asking that question, yes. then you will learn. And even mentors can be mentors from your life from afar. But just be observant. You see an actor you like, you see an entertainer you like, know that they're broken, but then also say, oh man, what can I learn from their life? Yeah. Oh, I know that they do this, they do this, they do this, they do this. Uh, one of the guys that uh, Pastor Brandon and I both follow is Jocko Willink. Mm-hmm. And his uh, Instagram is very simple, straightforward, but every day he just takes a picture of his Timex yep. and it's like 445 and then there's mm-hmm. a picture of a sweat-stained floor, the <laughs> aftermath. <laughs> the aftermath, that's and, right. And that's encouraging for me. Yeah. And so find people like that. Maybe something you need to do is eliminate distractions from your life. Yes. If you're following a thousand people on Instagram that aren't helping you go where you know you need to go, unfollow them. My buddy actually gets to the end of his timeline on Instagram. That's how very little <laughs> I don't know what that is. I'm like, yeah, I can't like, do that. What is that? Yes. Oh, I feel like you just made it to the end of the universe. <laughs> like, what just happened? I think that's when you throw your phone down, right? <laughs> well, he, 
he po- he finally posts like he never posts and he posted something the other day and it's like well that's great like all 10 people saw that so that's, that's good <laughs> that's good uh, but no that is it is it's so true I mean and here's what I think so many people miss too is that who I am today started with things that I didn't necessarily love at the time but I fell in love with the me that I hadn't met yet right and so because there was a version of myself that I wanted to meet I knew there were things that along the way I had to fall in love with and that's why growing in the dark places is so valuable because only you know what you're actually capable of only you know what's inside of you I I saw this picture on Instagram of it it was a guy he looked like a fat dude but he had uh, a mallet and he was like carving out a ripped guy Mm. inside of him Yeah, it was a really interesting visual and I was like man that's such a great example of what life looks like I got a friend of mine she is uh, just owned her fourth home and she's a hustler and it started with her um, at first sleeping on friends couches so she could pay off her student loans and I thought I was like how inspirational is that like the stuff that kind of scrubs you of some pride and here's the thing first step to growth is really scrubbing you of some pride that's it like if, if you want to grow you got to do some things and say hey man i don't know what to do with my money mm. hey i'm gonna walk into that gym class and i know i'm the most out of shape person yeah. in the room but don't let pride hold you back from growing and that's so good because that's exactly my point is like i think there are people who say well i'm just i'm not a reader or I'm not this, I'm not that. And, or even for me, like the, when you asked about, hey, what do you do with your money? You know, I could have said, well, you know, I'm, I'm 35, I'm 40. Like, it's probably too, like, that just sounds overwhelming. That sounds like, you know, I should have learned that at 18 or 21. I, but it's that pride. I had to swallow pride and be like, you know what? I may not be where I want mm-hmm. to be because I didn't make those decisions then, but that doesn't mean it's too late for me to start now. And to teach my kids, gosh, to show them like, hey, you know what, your dad didn't have all this. I wasn't equipped with this early on, but I want you to know like it's never too late in life to say, you know what, I can swallow my pride and start now um, because it's not just about me. It's about hopefully passing down a legacy of better man, better stewardship, better generosity, better investment. Opportunities. So good. Uh, a blue Nissan Versa changed my life. Mm. Let me tell you why. <laughs> uh, when I first got married, we lived in this apartment for about, I don't know, a year and a half. Yeah. And there was this lady who, in the mornings when I get it, I was walking down the stairs to go to work, I'd hop in my car. And she would always um, she would always be locking her door when I was locking mine. And so I never knew her name. I would always say hi to each other, but we'd walk downstairs at the same time. And I'd walk downstairs to the parking lot to get my car, and she'd be walking to the bus stop. And at the time, I was probably like 28, and she looked like she was late 40s. Mm-hmm. Always dressed to the nines, walking to the bus stop, day in, day out, season in, season out. Rain, um, uh, it snowed like once a year in, in Charlotte, but like whatever the weather was, she was always walking to the bus stop. And then one day, probably about a year later, I saw her walk to the parking lot with me, mm-hmm. and I saw the blue Nissan Versa. And she was walking in and she just kind of gave me a sly smile and I just kind of smiled. We never talked about it, but watching her work for that thing was, it got me all sorts of emotional because no one got to see the sacrifice of her um, 
working hard for that thing. Wow. When you pass her on the interstate, you just see a blue car, mm -hmm. but you don't see the days, the weeks, the months, the year of sacrifice to save up for that thing. And I think that your gift is the same way. Yeah. Someone's just going to see it on the highway of life and say, oh yeah, mm -hmm. Pastor Brandon Petty, pastor, great communicator, or um, Susie, great mom, but they don't know the sacrifice that it takes to get there. And um, that's why having good friends in your world is important yeah. because you need people who are going to cheer you on and then say, oh, dang, remember when this was just a dream? Like before, I just got here just about an hour or two ago and I was talking to Pastor Brandon in the auditorium. I was like, you remember, we were just talking about the first time we met. Mm -hmm. And I remember there's this little crazy look in his eyes that showed determination. And 10 years later, I can still see it there. It's matured. It's got more gray hairs on it, but like the same determination's there. And that's the gift of friends over time. And so if you have bad friends in your life, you need to walk alone for a season. You need to seek out good people. If there's a guy at work who's steady, but he's not too sexy, you better go and hang out with Ed. <laughs> hey, Ed, I saw you packed your, your lunch again. Oh, is that the peanut butter and jelly you eat every day for the last 20 years? Hey, man, let's talk. You better go so hang out good. with Ed. Yeah. And Ed, you might be sexy if you're out there. <laughs> Who knows? To God. Yeah, to God. Yeah. Well, hey, I want to remind everybody, if you have questions, comments, and stuff like that, you can send it in to madetowinpodcast.com. Don't forget, we come out with a new episode the first Tuesday of every month. Uh, follow me on Instagram at bpettygc. Also, hook, me up, uh, hook up with me on Facebook. Joel is at Joel Delph, J O E L D E L P H yep. on Instagram. You can just Google me. Just yeah, Google kind of Joel Delph, man. Thing. Just Google him. Um, don't go to page two. Just <laughs> don't go to page two. Stay page one. Uh, but, man, thank you guys for joining us. Joel, I can't thank you enough for being willing to come on. Um, I know the podcast is new and uh, you know, you're 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 the big dog, so you're like, man, well, I, you know, you'll be on Joe Rogan soon or something like I, that. Nope, <laughs> wouldn't know what to say on there. I'm like, I like you a lot, and that's all it'd be. He just kicked me out. So funny, but bro, I love you. I, I'm excited to hear your sermon tonight for our 10 year anniversary. And hey, can um, I pray for our listeners today? I would love that, Father. I thank you so much that you love us. I thank you so much that you call us son, you call us daughter. And you are not afraid by our mistakes. You are not afraid or intimidated by our mess ups, but you desperately want to walk with us each and every day. I pray for the listener today who doesn't know you or who's struggling to know you. I pray that they will feel your love right now in a special way. And I pray that they'll know that walking with you gives us all power to walk in our purpose. Our purpose isn't elusive. You want us to find it so we can use it. It's a gift you've given us. So help us to find that gift. In Christ, let me pray. Amen. 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 Don't forget on the Made to Win podcast, we believe that you were made to win, but in order to win, winning starts within.